Well, it's great to be back. Fliss and I have been away for the last three Sundays, as, as you may or may not know, but uh, we had the enormous privilege, and, and we, were, we thought we were in for a treat, but in fact, it turned out to be more than that. We were in the States, we were invited, and it's, you can only be invited to it, to a special forum of large churches. Uh, and uh, basically the largest churches in the Vineyard Movement got together in Chicago, Willow Creek, and of course we know that place well, don't we? Uh, but there were folk from New Zealand and, and uh, Europe and all over the world, and it was just an, a tremendous privilege to be there. Um, and. Uh, Basically, uh, if the church is running at over a thousand attendees, then uh, you're likely to get an invitation. And so uh, it was interesting to see that there are probably 30 or 40 churches in the movement now that are running at over a thousand. And uh, it was very, very exciting to be there. And of course, we were all on the same page. We were all firing questions at one another and hanging on each other's every word because of the sort of issues that we're facing. You know, people are the same wherever they are in the world. And so it was a wonderful privilege to be there. But of course, we could only go because the directors released us to go and provided the funds to go, but also that Richard and the home team here just did such an awesome job of looking after things while we were away. And I do just want to applaud Richard and say, great job, bro. Thank you. Thank you. But what a time you've had while I've been away. I've already mentioned the healings and stuff that have been going on and the people coming to feed and the, just the whole ministry seems to be busting at the seams. I can't wait to get next door. And of course, we're now coming to a phase where we, we should hear about planning permission and hopefully, you know, I'm not going to cross my fingers, I don't do that. We're going to hear a positive result about that this week, possibly. But I'm looking forward to, at the end of this month, launching phase two of our fundraising campaign. About 200 of you have joined us in this last 12 months. And you may not know that this time last year, we raised three quarters of a million pounds to, to get us into that. We had to borrow some money as well, but we've bought the building next door and it's earmarked for a compassion ministry uh, uh, initiative, all sorts of aspects relating to that. It, just the growth of our feed ministry has been extraordinary over these last few years. And, and then, of course, our burgeoning youth and children's ministry, that needs more space, so that's going to be featuring there. And so we, we raised money to buy that building. Well, uh, the architects have been busy while we've been away. We're still not there with the plans yet, so I, I won't be showing that just yet. But come the end of the month, probably the 31st, last Sunday in the month, we will launch a new fundraising campaign, Growing Family Campaign Phase 2. And that's really to turn a warehouse into a worship center. Now, I call it a worship center, not because we're going to be rocking out there. This auditorium is going to stay the same. But, but you know, an act, when, when you give a cup of water to a beggar, you are giving it to Jesus. And when we give to the poor, when we give our time, our energy, and our money, it's an act of worship. It's putting God first. It's, it's putting the people he cares about at the very center of his of, of the agenda. So it's an act of worship. So we're going to be turning a warehouse into a worship center and we want to raise about half a million. So if you've got half a million in your back pocket, just see me at the end of the service. Uh, but we'll be raising about 500,000 and you know, there'll be more about that, more fanfare and hullabaloo at the end of the month. But uh, uh, that's what we're going to be doing. Other things have been happening. Somebody had a baby. Will and uh, Kate had a baby and little Charlotte. So that was wonderful. We were excited about that. I kind of forgot that that was going to happen. And I don't know about you, but I think it's okay to call a monkey in Japan Charlotte. I thought it was quite flattering, really. Who thinks that's rude and irreligious and, 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 and not nice? Who thinks it's okay? What's the matter with them? I wouldn't mind. 
a monkey being called Christopher <laughs> for my birthday. If you can arrange that, you know, Whipsnay Zoo, ring him up and say, our pastor's his birthday, call a monkey Christopher. I don't mind. I'd be quite flattered, you know, I'd go and see it. But then, of course, we, Fuss and I flew back in on, uh, was it Tuesday or Wednesday, straight into the general election. A lot of heated uh, comments and debate on Facebook and what have you. And uh, at the moment, uh, it sort of threatens to divide the nation rather than unite the nation. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, is if, if you follow me on Twitter, I, I don't do a lot of tweeting these days. I've made a resolution to do more. I used to do a lot more than I do. But I did tweet beforehand that I really felt that you know, the priority here was to pray that God's men and women got into Parliament, regardless of the banner they sail under. You know, what we want is godly MPs. You know, they may not be Christians yet, although I was told, somebody reminded me, that last, with the last general election, over 50 new Christians, not new Christians, 50 people who are Christians, in addition to that which were already there, um, uh, went into Parliament, and, and Richard and I had the privilege, tremendous privilege last year of going to the National Prayer Breakfast in the House of Parliament. And I tell you, it's a full-on Christian event, isn't it, Richard? We had Archbishop Welby come speak. It's very impressive. God is up to something. So whatever you're, whether you're rejoicing or whether you're mourning as a result of the general election, uh, you know, I hope that God has answered our prayers in that he's given us men and women that have a, a disposition, a disposition, to be righteous, and disposition to, to do the right thing, to walk with integrity uh, in the call that they have. And actually, I would add to that that they would take care of the poor, that they would take care of the poor. And of course, it says in the scriptures that we should pray for our leaders, so why don't we just stand now and we will pray for David Cameron. Please join us. I, I hope this isn't going to rattle your box too much, but we, we should pray for our leaders. And so we just pray for our new parliament. Father, we want to say thank you because there is a sense, a growing sense, that your eye is on this nation. There is a sense in which, Lord God, you are moving in this nation. There is a sense, in fact, we know from Scripture, you intend to glorify the name of your Son through this nation and every nation. Jesus, you will be glorified. And so, Father, we pray for all those who have been successful in this general election and who will be going up to Westminster to take their place as MPs, perhaps for the first time, perhaps after many times. But, Lord, we ask your blessing upon each and every one of them, that you will speak to them through their friends and their colleagues, through dreams and visions even, and that, Lord God, a holy fear, an awe of God would fall upon that place. And that, Lord God, we would not get the government we deserve, nor even the government that we would choose, but most of all, that we would get a government of your choosing that furthers your kingdom and your purposes. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Please sit. Thank you. Okay, so today I have the privilege of introducing a new series. We've been planning for this for some little while, and it's entitled First. First past the post. Some are bemoaning that uh, form of government or election, you know. First past the post, they're saying, does not represent the nation properly. And uh, who knows, that may well be the case. First past the post. 
you know, I was thinking and toying with the word first, knowing that this was coming up, and I thought, you know, there's, there's lots of little kind of tags that go with first, you know, first love. How many of you remember your first love? I remember her, her name was Jane Neal, my first love, and I was seven. And the thing I loved about her, the thing I admired, really, was she always had white socks and very shiny shoes. <laughs> And I was shamed because I would look down and I had these kind of weird sandaly things with the holes on the top, do you know the thing? And they're kind of sort of rubber soles uh, and, they're sort of, and they were always scuffed and mucked about and I felt shame, I wanted to hide my feet because I was in love, my first love was Jane Neal and she had shiny shoes and white socks. <laughs> first impressions count in interviews, jobs, how many of us have, have, have made an, an effort to make a good first impression? You know, how many of us have, have jumped to the wrong conclusion? A first impression can sometimes be deceptive. Maybe we've had occasion over the years to meet someone or find ourselves in a situation where a first impression uh, that we've made about someone or a situation has actually proved wrong. That can be a humbling and humiliating thing. Of course, as we come to think of Jesus, he's described as the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus Christ is the first person the first man to rise from the dead. And he's the firstborn, and it says in the scriptures, he's the first of many. And indeed, each and every one of us who follow Christ, who know him as our Lord and Savior, are destined to rise from the dead. But Jesus was the first, the firstborn from the dead. Then, of course, uh, in the scripture, and we're going to explore this a little bit, there's the whole principle of first fruits, but that's a word that's transferred into common language. First fruits, first fruits of this, first fruits of that. It's the first sign, the first indicator, the first, the first point, first fruits. And then, of course, when we look at the scriptures, you know, there's the first commandment. They, we think of the Ten Commandments, and many people have heard of those. You know, when you talk to people who have some, you know, a reasonable level of education, they may not be followers of Jesus, they may never have read the Bible. But it's funny, people will often have heard of the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments. How many of you watch that little pro program, Gogglebox? I may have mentioned this already. I've, I, we dip in and out of it. It's a thing on the TV. It's quite amusing. Well, there were, there's two gay guys on that uh, program, and, and they were talking, uh, there was a, a religious program, I forget which one it was, but they had a little clip of that, and they were commenting, and these two guys, and this is shocking, but I'm not saying it in any way to demean them, but one of, it, they, one of them said to the other, they said, Noah, do, well, the first thing was, have you read your Bible, said one to the other, and he said, no, I haven't read a Bible. And then, then the, the first person said to the second, the first guy said to the second guy, he said, so, Noah, is that before Jesus or after Jesus? Now, that made me burst out laughing, like that was a stupid question. What? But then I caught those words, because these are intelligent guys, and the trouble is that you know, most people haven't a clue what's in the book. Most intelligent people, if you were to kind of, you know, uh, I don't know where would, get one, where would one find intelligence? Let's say the city of London, of course, that's debatable, and if you work in the city, please forgive me. <laughs> I have to be so careful these days, don't you? But if you were to interview you know, guys running around the city of London saying, well, you know, tell me, does Noah become before Jesus or after Jesus? Probably a third of them would get it wrong. Why? Because people just aren't interested in what we're doing. They're not interested in the scripture, they've not read the scripture, so we should be careful. We must be careful how we, we convey and communicate because people do not have the same sort of levels of understanding of the scripture. But my point is this. 
when we think about the scriptures, most of us will have heard of the Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we're going to look at both those to some degree today. But Jesus was asked, and we'll look at this little text, Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. Thank you. Jesus was asked this. He was asked, uh, somebody came to him and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Tell me which is the best one. Now, that was quite a contentious question because to an Orthodox Jew, and curiously enough, these were Orthodox Jews that were asking this question, everything was important. You couldn't drop anything. No, 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 you can't play this kind of game. But on one occasion, this guy, he said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said this, Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the first commandment. The first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, it actually says, and with all your strength. Basically, what we're talking about here is heart, soul, mind. Heart, soul, mind. Every fiber of your being, everything within you, loving with a passion, with a holy devotion, the Lord our God. You know, it's, it's quite something, isn't it? And did you notice the kind of priority there? There is a sequence there in that little first command. God first, then neighbor, and then self. Our neighbor, the community, the community of the saints, the, you know, our neighbors in the street, our neighbors at work, these are all neighbors. God, neighbor, and self. There is a kind of a, a sequence there, and it's deliberate. Jesus made that deliberate. And, and self. It's important that we love ourselves. That's why we, we do ministries like Restore Ministry in the autumn and stuff like that. It's important that we begin to love ourselves and know ourselves in the light of Christ. We don't diss ourselves. We don't sort of subjugate ourselves. We don't write ourselves off. That would be actually dishonoring to God because God thought us valuable enough to die for us. However you feel or think about yourself, God sent his son to die for you. He put a price on you and you were worth dying for. So I don't have much truck for people who think that Christianity is about killing self no, actually, it's about finding oneself. And you find oneself in the light and the love of God, loved and adored and called precious one, child, son, daughter, God, neighbor, self. I found myself, as I was 39,000 feet above the Atlantic, winging my way home and trying to sleep, I suddenly found myself asking myself a question. You know, what would, what would it be like if we, did start, if we did start putting God first? And this little talk is called putting God first. What would it look like if we started putting God first? And I was thinking, you know, about the, the elections and praying about that. And I was thinking, oh, God, if only we would put God f- first. And here I was sort of pr- praying for the nation. It seemed like a ridiculous, impossible, stupid, childish, naive prayer that this nation would start putting God first. But, you know, there have been seasons when we have done that. There have been seasons when this nation put God first. As many of you will know, if not all of you, 
The whole of our legal system is based on, on a scriptural understanding. It was, it was the Bible that defined the way we set up the law. It, it, it's extraordinary. So it has been like that. And so maybe it wasn't so foolish to, to pray that, that our MPs should start putting God first. But then, you know, I, I brought it home. I brought it home and I thought, well, wait a minute. Don't be too hard on the nation. You know, what about the church? What about the church of Jesus Christ? What would it be like if the church in this nation started putting God first? And you're saying, well, well of course they do that anyway. Well, do we? I don't know. I've been a minister now for over 30 years. And I have to say that on more than one occasion, indeed on many occasions, you know, uh, we, you know I found myself caught up in what might be termed politics with a cool P. Wheeling and dealing. I have to say that amongst pastors, uh, there's a, lo a lot of insecurity, a lot of competitiveness. It's, it's a besetting sin. The kind of insecurity and competitiveness that you might feel in, in the marketplace or mums at the, at the school gate, somebody's got a better buggy than you and all the kind of, that kind of weirdness. You know, pastors are, are not above that. You know, we feel that too. And to be honest with you, I have loved meeting with pastors here. In, uh, uh, for for 20, over 25 years now, every Wednesday we pray, and I've got good friends in other denominations, and the first thing I think that's done is that we've got real with one another. Not that we, have, we share each other's sort of stuff every Wednesday. Gosh, that would be exhausting, wouldn't it? But we pray for this city, this nation. We, we kind of lift our eyes from the daily grind, and we say, oh God, would you come? Would, would it be that this this nation would start putting you first, and this city would put you first, that this region would put you first, that this, you know, this government will put you first. We start praying like that, and then suddenly everything begins to fall into proper perspective, and my little competitiveness with so-and-so with down the road or whoever he is suddenly seems rather childish and playground-like. We start to grow up when we see that we are sons and daughters of the Most High, called to a magnificent and extraordinary mission. So I found myself thinking, you know, what would it be like? What would that look like? Well, there would be so many implications, of course, you know, so many implications. But with the, the first fruits thing, you know, I, I, I started thinking, well, you know, actually money is an issue. You know, it's an issue because we need it. It's an issue because often we find ourselves short of it. It's an issue because we, we try and save it and we, in some cases, cover it. But one of the biggest things that, is, that we are all subjected to is money. And when you've listened to some of the arguments uh, that the politicians have put through, you know, the, the major thing is the economy. And then there's people who are bemoaning the fact that we've you know, got a conservative government now because they're fearing for the poor and they're saying, well, that's the end. You know, that's what the kiss goodbye to the poor. They're going to have a rough time. And all you know, it, it's all about financial stuff. One of the things we do at the feed, and it saved our life, I have to say, is that we do not give money away. You know, we help with our time, our energy, our prayer. Our, uh, we, we, we give gifts of food and clothing and stuff when we can. We do everything we can. But right from day one, we said we would not give gifts of money. Because the moment you introduce money into the equation, it all gets weird. It really does. It gets weird. I could tell you stories. I haven't got time. It gets very weird. It's an extraordinary thing, this hold that money has over us. And yet the scripture has a lot to say about money. 
You know, and as we are heading up to launching a, you know, phase two for our, you know, our, our, our compassion center next door, um, you know, it's important that we, we get this right and we begin to think right about this. And this whole business of first fruits, you know, it, it's an extraordinary thing, this principle of if you put God first, you, you give him your best. Exodus 23 verse 19a says this, Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. That was the precedent. You know, that was what was behind Harvest Festival. But in fact, originally, you know, it was, it was just a case of you brought the best to God. You know, there's this story that some of you will be familiar with in, in the Old Testament where Abraham, one of the sort of fathers of the faith, you know, is asked to bring his firstborn son and sacrifice him. Well, that is appalling to us. And indeed, that story is worth reading. I won't spoil it if you haven't read it, just to say he doesn't end up sacrificing his son. But that whole business of sacrificing your firstborn was very much a feature of ancient religions. It was never a part of the Judeo-Christian religion, but of ancient religions. And what it was, the, the underlying thing in one sense is admirable. You bring the firstborn of your body, you bring your hope of, uh, it's your firstborn son, you bring hope of a future for you and your family, you bring a hope of, of provision in your old age because there was no pension in those days it was your children that cared for you so your firstborn son you sacrificed to whatever ghastly god it was you worshipped and that was in many many cultures it's extraordinary uh, a, a thing that that was was uh, approved and indeed encouraged and it, there was just this sense that we need to bring the very first of us to God. God, whoever he is or she is, is worthy of the first of us, the best of us. Now, the difference with the Christian faith is that there is only one who has given his firstborn son, and that is God himself. The only son that has been held, not held back, the only son that has been sacrificed is Jesus Christ so that we don't have to be sacrificed, so that we don't have to sacrifice our children, God forbid. But God did not hold back. God gave his firstborn that you might live. A shocking reality, and in its starkest, that's it. There was a, desire, a divine exchange. Jesus substituted himself for us Jesus gave himself for us. The Father gave up his Son for us that we might live. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we serve. And this is the God that Jesus says we should put first in all our doings. So as I think about money, I, I find myself having gone on a bit of a journey over the years. And I wonder where you are on this. You know. And it's my prayer for us as a community. I actually got a chance to talk to Bill Hybels about it, the pastor of Willow Creek. I was talking, chatting to him about it. But I realized that when I first came to faith, I was well-intentioned. I had all sorts of good intentions about the way I would live my life and how I would deal with my finances in relation to the church and the kingdom and the poor and all the rest of it. The reality was it didn't happen very often. 
you know, and, you know, it was just part of the process. I was struggling with all sorts of things. My faith wasn't high. I, I, I wasn't yet to trust God. But then I moved from that. I moved, I, 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 sometime or other, I kind of got my act together. And I thought, look, you know, either I'm a Christian or not a Christian. And I started being generous. So whenever there was an appeal, like for a place next door, I would be generous. My day-to-day -day giving was, was a little bit iffy, to be honest. You know, the sort of ordinary bread and butter giving, that was a bit off, uh, off you know, depended, really. But I was always generous, you know, and I, for a long time, felt quite self-righteous about that. I could be generous, you know. And even if we didn't have a lot of money, we, we would be, still be generous. We were willing to give freely. So I moved from being well-intentioned to generosity. But there is a step beyond that. And that's the step that I've needed to take and need to keep pressing into. There is a step beyond that, which I pray that this church, as we continue to grow up in the things of God, will begin to embrace wholeheartedly. It's happening, but it's patchy. The way we move from generosity to a sacrificial lifestyle. Where we move from the impulse to, you know, put a bit of small change. Oh, come on, pass, give, come on, chaps, give up. You know, like my car club guys. You know, we had a tank, come out, come, tank commander come and speak to us. And at the end of it, somebody said, pass the hat down, lads. And we gave him £237.42p. And he was very excited. You know, we all sort of chipped in. Some people do church like that. Oh, quick, plates coming around. Have we got any money? Yeah. No, it, it's, God bless you. Thank you. That's wonderful. That's a great place to be. But there's a place beyond that. In fact, Jesus commented about this in Luke chapter 21, uh, verses 1 to 4. Let me just read this. It's, it's kind of uncomfortable in one sense. Jesus is in the temple in verse 1 of Luke 21. He says this, uh, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins, Truly, I tell you, he said, the poor widow has, to put, has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, gave everything she had to live on. That's sacrificial giving. Giving where it is more than out of the surplus, where, the, where it's more than giving out of guilt or shame or in the spur of the moment or when moved by emotion. It, it's giving sacrificially in a way that will actually affects the way you do life. And many of you, and certainly Fliss and myself, for, for many, many years now have been giving in a way that if we hadn't given, we could have sent our kids to university. None of my kids went to university. We could have done that. Three of them were A-star students. One was less so, but could have still made it. We couldn't do that. And the reason was that because we gave sacrificially to something that we thought was a higher purpose. I'm glad to say all my kids are doing fabulously well. I know Fliss gets a little uncomfortable when we talk about that, but our kids are doing well. And, and, and we have seen God's favor and God's blessing, even though we've made sacrifices that have hurt. Sacrifices that have really told. I remember one thing which I only found out afterwards which still gets me, and I've mentioned it recently, but I'll mention it again. Sam told me just a few years ago, Sam is my, my son, um, he said that in one year, the whole year group, 167 students went on a field trip to Germany. He was the only kid that couldn't go. And he said, no, because we hadn't got the money. Well, we had the money, but we were prioritizing it. We were giving. 
And, and that, that kind of lifestyle, and I, I, I say it not to build first of myself up, I say it to, to, to commend to you a lifestyle where we put God first, where we begin to get to grips with this kind of dam- dynamic, where like that, that widow, we are beginning to walk in a way that really puts our trust in God, that really honors God, where we love God and serve God with all the, every fiber of our being. That's what this is really about. That's what this call is about. Now, if that seems way too high a bar to you, well, I understand that because it was way too high a bar for us. But you know what softened us? It was love. I make all sorts of concessions to Flissy because I love her. After 43 years, I still love her. Keep telling you that I love her. And you love your partners. Uh, we've just moved house into Markgate. I tell you, it's not looking quite the way I had in mind because whenever we get faced with a swatch of material or a, something like that, I, I say, oh, all right. We just bought a rug, which I hope I'm going to be happy with, you know. <laughs> but I sort of, you know, Fliss wanted this rug, and so we get the rug. You, you kind of, it's love that makes you do things that you don't want to do. <laughs> I'm on thin ice here, I feel. I, 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 I'm not wanting to look at Fliss, you know. It's love that makes you do things that you don't want to do. It's the same thing with God. You know, when I first met with Jesus, I hoped he loved me, and I hope he was going to do right by me or whatever, but the longer I've walked with him, the more I've just melted. That's consistent and persistent love. And I'm not going to be so bold as to say that there's nothing I wouldn't do for Jesus. I'd like to say that. I aspire to that. But thus far, even though there have been challenges where we've thought, oh, my giddy aunt. I mean, the, the whole giving campaign, as I said, you know, we already tithe. We've had to find more money to do that and we've to, do, to give extra, and now we're giving extra every month, three figures every month to that, that thing. You know, that, that really has, is costing us. But the truth of the matter, it's not because I said so or you said so or the director said so or anybody said so. Actually, it's because we prayed about it. And the God who loves us and keeps pouring out his love upon and has looked after me and my family so well these many years so that they're all doing well. You know, I, I, I find it hard to say no to him, just like I find it hard to say no to Flissy. So I want to just quickly go through, just to help you with this, and I hope it will help you. I want to give you seven reasons to put God first when it comes to finances. First of all, going through this rather quickly, God gave first. I've already said that. You know, whenever I do a talk these days about giving, which, you know, you have to do as a pastor, you know, you want to do all the nice, warm, cuddly, fluffy things, but you have to talk about the things that that we're dealing with out there in the real world, the things that, you know, that really impinge upon us. But so, so when I talk about giving, I always say, first off, first point, God gave first. And somebody has added, you can't give out God. God gave first. God gave his only son. Secondly, giving is an act of worship. It is worship. That's why, you know, at this service, I love the way we normally do this service. At the end of the worship time, we, we take up the offering. It, and it, it is an offering of worship. And it seems to me the right place. In fact, I was talking to the guys in the staff meeting this week when we were playing catch-up, you know, finding out what's been going on. I was saying, you know what, I, I want to make more of the offering. 
I want us somehow to include it in the worship so that it's not some kind of afterthought, some embarrassing moment where we all feel a little awkward. It actually becomes something that it's meant to be. It's meant to be a giving back to God that which he's given us. So it's an act of worship. Giving is an act of stewardship. And in some churches, you hear much about, you know, about the word stewardship. Uh, I'm not quite sure sometimes what they're meaning by that, but I know what I mean by that. Giving is an act of, of stewardship. And it begins with the fact that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And in the Garden of Eden, right back at the beginning, you and I, mankind, womankind, if you like, were given the responsibility of stewarding God's creation. We were to manage it so it worked its way out in a godly way. Now, that's gone way wrong, as we know. But in the church of Jesus Christ, when we begin to give well and live well, we begin to manage our finances, manage our lives in such a way that actually reinstates that sense of stewardship and responsibility, not just for me, me, mine, but for more than that. The fact that you know, our neighbor is, is hurting, the fact that you know, every week we get between 70 or 80 clients turn up here for food, and many of them are in a dire, a, a dire strait. And truthfully, over the next five years, we may see more of them. That number may well double. You know, who knows? We've just got to do what we've got to do. But when it becomes personal, when I and you and me and them and us make sacrifices so that these guys can get through because they're not making it, well, that's beginning to honor God and the incredible responsibility he's given us as stewards of creation. So forget what the other man's doing. As for me and my house, as it were, we will seek to be good stewards of God's creation. That, that which we have control over, that which we have some influence in, we will attempt to steward that well because that's what man, who the Bible says, was the, you know, the supreme creation, man and woman made in his image, the supreme creation. You know, we were called to steward the resources of the earth in a way that honors him. And this is just a little way of undoing that. Fourthly, God, uh, giving is an act of gratitude. You know, uh, the psalmist says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled for joy. Solomon at the dedication of the temple says, all things come from you and of your own do we give you. I'm often referred to that in the communion time. All things come from you and of your own do we give you. We're not giving you a bit of our stuff. We're giving back to you that which you've already given to us. Fifthly, giving is an act of trust. You know, I remember when Fliss and I first started tithing, giving 10% of our income every month. And the best way of doing that, frankly, is by online giving or various other electronic things. It just goes out now. We don't even think about it. It, it goes out, you know. But, but I remember when we started doing that, you know, we were not wealthy. You know, there was a time when we were, when we were uh, curates in the Church of England where we, were, we, we had the council come round and they gave us some, some additional funds, you know, put, uh, put on, what was it called? Income supplement, or I, I can't remember what it was. But we, we, we qualified, which was embarrassing, uh, to be honest. But we felt it was important to tithe. The council didn't really understand that too much, but we felt, no, we're going to do this. But they still helped us. God bless them, you know, Leeds Council, Leeds City Council. 
It's an act of trust. But as you begin to tithe, and many, many people, and this has certainly been our testimony, we have found that God makes the 90% go, go further than the 100%. I mean, I can't tell you the wonderful things that have happened to us over the years. Just things seem to fall right for us. The washing machine lasts a year longer than it should have done. You know, the boiler doesn't blow up. Suddenly we find ourselves, and we've done this at, on at least two occasions, on a, on a jet plane, or three occasions, taking the whole family to America uh, to go to some conference and have a bit of holiday at someone else's expense. Now, we've never, never, never been the kind of people that go around saying, just for your prayers, I'm praying in faith that God will give me a new car. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> You've got a bit of money, haven't you? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We have always taken our needs to God. He's the only one that knows. And time and again, there have been stories of extraordinary provision. Let me just ask for a show of hands. How many of you could say, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Chris. Just raise your hand if you've seen God's faithfulness in that. I mean, look at this. God bless you guys. God has a way of making the 90% go further. It is extraordinary. Giving is an act of trust. Six, giving is an act of spiritual warfare. It undoes the, spiritual, the, the, the spirit of poverty. You know, occasionally, I usually, I don't sort of schedule it in. I, I keep it a secret when I'm going to do it. But sometimes we do a thing where we just get a couple of people up here and we just give them money. And it's a wonderful thing. It causes such laughter and such joy. And I just say, who needs a tenner? You know, you know, I've done that kind of thing. And people just come forward and it's just amazing. And there's something very releasing about it. It kind of breaks something, you know. You know, I've, on occasion, I've joked, I made a mistake this morning, I brought my wallet. Well, I haven't got my wallet this morning, but, you know, and I was going to take the kids out to lunch at some sort of pub or something like that, but then end up giving it, to, you know, it, it, it breaks something. Just that spontaneous act of generosity, it breaks something in us. Yeah. Suddenly money isn't that important after all. You know, there are other things that are more important. And it just, it's spiritual warfare. When we start, you know, mastering money, it ceases to master us. It's an extraordinary thing. Seven, giving is an investment in the future. 1 Timothy 6, 17, and I'm not sure whether I've got this up here, but, but uh, let me just read this to you. It's an investment in the future. Verse 17, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. This is for all of us, by the way, not, not just the wealthy. But uh, let them put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our encouragement. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. It's investing in the future, but not this future. I mean, Fliss and I have managed to put some money away in a pension all these years, you know, started with 25 quid a month or something. We're not, it's not that we're talking about. It's in the age to come. Remember R.T. Kendall spoke here three years ago on, on the inheritance, the rewards of heaven. It, it is still in the archive. You can still listen to it. It's a wonderful talk. But, but when we give, because we love God, we're actually investing in the age to come and the eternity that we are going to share together in that blessed place. So it's a way of investing in the future. So bringing this thing home to land then, 
you know, this is about in all matter, and money is just one thing, but it's a pretty big thing, let's be honest. It's about taking it to the next level. That's a favorite little cliche catchphrase these days. Let's take it to the next level. You know, I'm taking this to the next level. It's a way of putting God first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. Put God first. Make him the, the hook upon which you hang your life. And as we do so, let's, over these next two or three weeks, think carefully about the way we, we see money, how we put God first and how that applies. And, and let's rejoice and let's give thanks and let's prepare and let's pray about how we model his kingdom here and the generosity moving on to the sacrificial giving and living that will indeed honor and, and bless him. Let's all stand now. Let's have the worship team back up. It seemed appropriate to me. It seemed appropriate to me that uh, by way of response, we'd take up our offering during this song. So as usual, as we get into the worship, if you wouldn't mind peering over the edge of your chair, if there's a basket there, we're going to pass that on. It is an act of worship. It's appropriate we do that at the same time. Let me just pray now. Father God, we want to say thank you to you. Lord God, I, I, I guess my end point is something we should pray for all of us, that Lord God, you'd help us to take this thing we call church, this walk we have with you, to the next level. I thank you that the last few weeks we've seen your hand of power and blessing upon us. So many good things. You have loved us first, and we want to respond all the more ably, all the more sincerely, all the more dedicatedly, all the more dedicatedly to that which you've done us, that we might model the kingdom regardless of whatever government is in place or who is on the throne or what is happening, that we might model the community of believers. And so, Lord God, we bless you, we thank you, we praise you. We ask, Lord God, that you would accept the offering of our sung worship and these offerings of money and put them to your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.